Welcome. You have entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simron. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simron. I'm going to ask you to sit down and take a listen. It is good to sit across from each other with no table or other furniture in between. Face each other, sitting perhaps four or five feet away. The prepping partner states that she has asked for this time with her partner because letting him know exactly what she feels about the collapsed conflict in the relationship is extremely important to her. For example, the conversation could begin this way. We've been in conflict recently about our differing views of the future. From my perspective, what I see happening is, and it seems like from your perspective, you see, am I hearing you correctly? Do you not see the same things I'm seeing? I know I may have sometimes been pushy about convincing you that my perspective is correct, and I apologize for that, but I do no longer want to be pushy. You have every right to believe what you want to believe about the future. But what I want you to hear today is, the intention here is to communicate one's deepest feelings to the other person. So the next statement may be something like, I want you to hear how deeply sad I am that we don't share this perspective. I'm also terribly scared because I want us to be prepared as possible for the future. And I'm frightened that we won't be. The most important piece of this communication is not whether the correct words are used, but whether you, the prepping partner, allow yourself to express your authentic feelings. If you are sad, do not try to make yourself cry. But if tears come, let them. Absolutely essential in this communication is that you speak from your heart, not your head. It is also important to let your partner know you feel very lonely, knowing what you know, but not being able to share it. How many times in your life have you had words inside your heart, inside your body, inside your mind, and you didn't allow yourself to speak them? How often have you had fear about the future or current situation, and you didn't know where to turn, and the place that seemed the least safest were your own relationships? I want to talk to you today about a really exciting book called Love in the Age of the Ecological Apocalypse. Cultivating the Relationships We Need to Thrive, and it is by Carolyn Baker. It is a very rich, deeply profound book, and it's going to take you into places that oftentimes people don't necessarily want to go, but that it is very necessary to not only visit, but to sit with at this time. She's really gifted us with a sane and courageous book, one that allows us to truly understand the extremity of the global crisis upon us today. She tackles the issues of relationships and the unraveling of civilization and how we proceed. Who do we become during the hard times? And who do we relate to and how do we relate? Over the next hour, we're going to have a very deep, in-depth discussion about the state of the world, about the state of our relationships, and most importantly, about the state within us. Carolyn Baker is a former psychotherapist and a professor of psychology and history. She's nationally renowned for her writing and workshops on emotional resilience in challenging times, as well as for life coaching for individuals and groups. Her books include Collapsing Consciously, Transformative Truths for Turbulent Times, Navigating the Coming Chaos, a Handbook for Inner Transition and Sacred Demise, 
walking the spiritual path of industrial civilization's collapse. She lives and writes in Boulder, Colorado, and her website is carolynbaker.net. Today we are discussing her latest book, Love in the Age of Ecological Apocalypse. I'd like to welcome you, Carolyn, to 1111 Talk Radio. Well, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here, so honored that you love the book and want to talk about it with me. Well, there's a lot here, especially when we are in such a time of being busy, of staring into our smartphones, of less communication probably than ever, and more so even less heart-to-heart connection where we're really stating our feelings and diving deeply into revealing our truths. And that that section that I read was so completely powerful because I think we've often forgotten how to communicate and we're not really teaching our young people how to have those authentic, emotional, vulnerable conversations where the truth rises. And so I want to start right there when it comes to communication and and what you really see from your perspective as the state of the world right now. Well, what I see from my perspective is that the world is going through uh, a tremendous... um, a tremendous decompensation, a tremendous devolvement, if you will. Um, And I believe that none of us just happened to fall out of the sky at this time. I believe there is a reason for all of us being here at this time. And this is a potentially very painful time because where we're headed is most likely into massive extinction of species, which is already happening, and the possibility, the very distinct possibility, that we're looking at the extinction of the human species within the next 100 years, which is a frightening possibility. But, you know, it's impossible now to have an intelligent conversation about global warming or climate change without the E-word coming up, because scientists are telling us, some of the most reliable scientists are telling us that we have now entered the sixth great extinction. And so... Once you talk about this, you have gone past science and facts and logic. You're now in existential territory. You are now in the area of being compelled to ask questions of meaning and purpose, and that's what my work is all about. So we have two camps. We have have the camp that is the scientific world, and we have the camp that's the spiritual world, and the scientific world wants to illustrate and shows us where we are going as a planet. The the spiritual type of world wants to delve just completely into the realm of consciousness and how we change things in our consciousness. What is the bridge between these two so that we really become realistic about where we are and allow both of these camps to come together within ourselves? Well, Carl Jung, or no, it was Einstein himself, actually, who said, limiting our destructiveness is not a matter of reining in our natural selfish impulses. It is a matter of understanding who we really are. So these two worlds have everything to do with each other. And one of the people who has integrated them uh, superbly is my good friend and colleague, Andrew Harvey, who uh, developed the Institute for Sacred Activism, so that we need to be activists 
out there doing everything we can to mitigate climate change, no matter how small that is, and also be sacred activists who are working on consciousness, who are working on spiritual development, compassion and love for the world, and putting those two things together. Because what's happened is in our industrially civilized culture, we've split those two as if one doesn't have anything to do with the other. And they are inextricably connected. And regardless of the outcome, we need to be putting these two worlds together to transform ourselves, our communities, uh, to do what we can to help make it easier for other species to uh, promote our own evolution, and to make it a more beautiful world as much as we can. So in the title is the word apocalypse, and you start off the book talking about how it's derived from a Greek word that actually means to reveal, Mm -hmm. and the uncovering of what is hidden. And so if we look at where we are today, that has to stem from certain foundations that either over time gained cracks uh, and or lies or miscreations, uh, or began that way. So is the apocalypse that's taking place in many of these structures and systems, whether it is global warming or whether it's economics or health care or legal, or regardless of which area of the world it's in right now, is it that it's the revealing of what no longer works, the revealing of the lies that lay within the foundation? that is causing that crumbling so that something new can be born through sacred activism. Oh, I absolutely believe that. Um, It is a revealing of a way of life, a story, if you will, that no longer works, a story that we've lived by for thousands of years. And, And most recently in the Industrial Revolution, the last 300 years, that story has deepened. And, and now we're finding out it, it just no longer works. We're facing the absolute end of economic growth. And, you know, I, I have to almost weep as I watch some of the economists talk about, well, what are we going to do to stimulate growth? You know, Richard Heinberg, who's a fabulous thinker and an expert on energy depletion, wrote a wonderful book in 2009 called The End of Growth. And he says that because of the depletion of certain resources, uh, because of the proliferation of environmental impacts on our extrication of things, um, and because of financial disruptions, we have come to a place now where the human species can no longer grow economically in any kind of long-term sustained way. So uh, on every level, if you look at all of the institutions, they're all crumbling, and and it's a huge uh, neon light in the sky and in our communities that says this story that you've been living by for thousands of years no longer works. You have to create a new story. And and the price of that may be, the price of this old story may be that a lot of us are going to go extinct, that most of the planet will become uninhabitable for who knows how many thousands of years. It, but But in the meantime, for those of us who are still here, no matter how long or how short our lives are, we can begin to create that new story. And we can begin to live differently for the benefit of ourselves, for the benefit of other species, and for any descendants that that may survive. And so it all does boil down to relationship, whether it is relationship to other people or relationship to a system or a structure 
is, is that why this had to be the core of this book, uh, the, the cultivating of those relationships in order to, to thrive again? Absolutely, because everything really, truly is about relationship. And that's what we have forgotten in the uh, uh, model of industrial civilization, because industrial civilization is all about separation. It's all about me over here, you over there. Uh, You know, indigenous people um, for thousands of years looked at a mountain, for example, and they saw it as another being, a being with which they needed to have a relationship. And so they would pray to the mountain, and they would uh, bless the mountain. And whenever they went up into that mountain to hunt, they would offer prayers of thanksgiving. They would apologize to animals that they needed to eat for food. So it was relate, relate, relate to the rivers, relate to the trees. Well, industrial civilization got completely away from that perspective, and it's tree over there, me here, mountain over there, me here. Oh, mountain, wow, I bet there's a lot of resources in there that I can go up and extract. What can I get out of that thing called a mountain rather than that sacred being that I have a relationship with? This is where we have failed. This is where we have gone wrong. And this is what I believe we are being compelled back to, is who are we really and who are these other beings? How do we connect? This is the thing that I'm really emphasizing these days. How do we reconnect with ourselves, with each other, and with the earth? These are the three most important relationships for any of us right now. So when you're talking about love in the title, you're talking about an essence of love that probably goes beyond any realm of understanding that we currently have today because the the term love in itself has been so distorted and really is misunderstood completely because we've never really even learned what love was. We weren't taught by our caregivers. We weren't taught by society. Everything that's called love is wrapped up in another package in today's world. So I want you to really help us understand a little bit more about what you mean love as. Well, you're absolutely right. You know, Robert Johnson talks about in his books that the Eskimos have, I don't know, 30, 35 words for snow, because when when your life depends on snow, you have to have a lot of different ways to talk about it in order to survive. And if our lives depended on, on, on the spiritual essence of love, we'd have a lot more words for it than just love. You know, we have to turn to the Greeks for words like eros and philo to understand what deep shades and meanings of love are. So really what I'm talking about is what all of the ancient traditions have talked about in terms of love, the fundamental essence being, I'm not separate from you. In our essence, we are one. And when I get that, and when I understand that, I cannot exploit you. I cannot uh, judge you. 
um, I cannot utilize you for my own pleasure or my own gain because we are one. We have to do this together. We have to survive together. That's the essence of love, that we're not separate. And I believe that is the enormous lesson that we're being compelled to learn right now. Those animals, I I was just reading this morning, the Navy, the U.S. Navy was given uh, the go-ahead to kill millions of dolphins and fish in certain oceans so that they could go in there and do their sonar stuff and they could pave the way for oil companies to come in and do extractions. This is insane, killing millions of species Mm -hmm. just, Mm -hmm. you know, without even thinking twice. Because what? I'm separate from those species, so I can do anything with with them that I want to, including destroy them. This is what has got to be transformed. Throughout countless societal unravelings in human history, members of our species have invariably discovered that Maslow's hierarchy of needs cannot be neatly stacked in ascending order based on the alleviation of hunger and thirst. Even as they scratch and claw to meet survival needs, disquieting longings for community, meaning, and the sharing of their gifts with others never fall totally silent in the soul. Ask the survivors of Nazi death camps who secretly told jokes to one another painted magnificent pictures and composed and played music, if not publicly, at least in their minds. Societal suffering always exacts a toll on the human spirit, but it also offers fertile ground for the cultivation of relationships and demonstrations of magnanimous outpourings of kindness and compassion. This is from the book Love in the Age of Ecological Apocalypse, Cultivating the Relationships We Need to Thrive by Carolyn Baker. Carolyn's mission is to create islands of sanity in a sea of global chaos. This mission necessitates the development of a variety of emotional tools alongside commitment to spiritual transformation. Through her multifaceted outreach via webinars, podcasts, live workshops, books, and articles, as well as one-on-one life coaching, Carolyn is touching the lives of thousands to assist them in preparing for the dire consequences of the collapse of industrial civilization and abrupt climate change. You can find out more about her at carolynbaker.net. That's carolynbaker.net. Also, you can see her at Omega Institute with Andrew Harvey, July 10th through 15th. You can find out more information at eomega.org. And she will also be conducting a grief weekend in Chico, California in October. If you'd like more information on that, contact her at carolyn at carolynbaker.net. We'll be right back with Carolyn Baker. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. 1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly online publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. Engage with experts in topics of consciousness. Become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, expanding the heart, and experiencing greater aliveness. 
1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Why spiritual spelunking? Why tending to our inner garden? Why devoting time to inner being when so much external doing calls upon us? An Indian sage put it wisely, your own self-realization is the greatest service you can render the world. Join host Jeel Asselin as he serves as both guide and companion on the journey within. Nurturing the spiritual spelunker in all of us can be heard every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IamSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. The first thing that we have to understand is where we are really lying to ourselves. Where are we not telling the truth about how we feel in our own lives, how we feel about the world, or even if we're in touch with our true feelings and the experiences that we've had. The absolute crux of love is a life lived, at least most of the time, from the place of the deeper self, the sacred within us, rather than from the ego. Despite the bad press the ego often receives, we all need one. The first half of our lives is all about developing the ego by way of learning skills, getting an education, deciding what we want to do with our lives, establishing a career, entering romantic relationships, and possibly starting a family. To fulfill these tasks, our egos must develop. However, within the constraints of industrial civilization, we have little awareness of other parts of ourselves, the most essential one being the deeper self. The deeper self is the part that is the whole, intact, innately wise, innately loving, and in one word, sacred, sacred love, which originates within ourselves and within our nature. We are more likely to act and speak with love, and with the time, the ego becomes tempered and finds a more balanced venue within the psyche. We're talking today about love in the age of of ecological apocalypse. What I read came from that book. It is a nice meandering between the truth of what we are facing and also the realism of what we can do to alter the course that we are right now set upon. Through Carolyn's work, you understand what the meaning of real communication is in life and how we need to support our young people and also ourselves in terms of that deeper self-study while also being a sacred activist outside through any small steps that we do or through the large actions through which we decide to partake. You can find out more about Carolyn Baker's work at carolynbaker.net. She has quite a few other books and a lot of other things that you can tap into in addition, you can go to Omega Institute, uh, July 10th, 15th. She will be there with Andrew Harvey. You can find out more at eomega.org, and she will also be offering a grief weekend in Chico, California in October. You can find out more at carolyn at carolynbaker.net. Welcome back, Carolyn. Um, I want to get into a couple of words that I think people also misconstrue other than just the word love, and one of those is detachment. 
Because oftentimes people use the word detachment as a place to just completely disconnect from something. And when we disconnect, we either don't care anymore or we shut off our own emotional capacity and emotional intelligence to even have the capacity towards compassion or empathy. Talk about how you illustrate what detachment is and how important detachment is, particularly in facing the obstacles of today's world. That's a wonderful question. Thank you for that. Um, one of the most uh, powerful tools that I'm familiar with in, in terms of dealing with detachment comes from ancient traditions like um, particularly Buddhism and Hinduism, um, but Buddhism specifically in which uh, they talk about the observer. Um, other people have called it the neutral witness but it's the part of us that's not the sacred self and not the ego. It's, it's another part that's kind of related to the sacred self that allows us to stand outside of our experience consciously so that um, if I'm in um, a disagreement with somebody, that I can be engaged in that conversation and at the same time, there's a part of me watching it all, watching myself as, as much as I'm watching the other person, tuning into my body and how my body feels and where I feel it in my body. Um, and, and this is true in any kind of relationship. I think it's true, you know, as we watch the news. You know, so how, what's going on with me as I'm witnessing this? Um, I do life coaching and I sometimes invite people to be a witness to their own fears about money for example you know I, or anything that they think they don't have enough of watch yourself freaking out watch watch yourself spinning you know and and then just notice that it's a place of non-judgment and and so I think that one of the great issues in our culture, one of the reasons that we're so unconscious and, and, and so uh, swayed by, uh, you know, the predominant thought of our, of our time is that we don't have this kind of detachment. This, we haven't developed the internal witness that allows us to stand back and, and really look at something with, with some perspective and look at ourselves in the midst of all of this and be that internal observer. And there's a fine line because you have to allow yourself to fully feel it and understand what is coming Absolutely. up in the body because yes. most of us haven't faced the body or allowed ourselves to even know what we've held possibly all the way back through childhood, but yet we what... have to have that calm disposition to also be witness. So how do you walk the fine line between the two? Well, one of the things I talk about in the book is embodiment and, um, you know, and, and loving our bodies as the world falls apart. I have a whole chapter on that. And, and the more we learn to be present in our bodies, the more we're able to be the witness and watch ourselves, not just in sort of some dispassionate way, but, but to watch ourselves feeling what we feel. Like, oh, my gut's really tight right now. Oh, I have this sharp pain in my head when this person said that. Um, you know, and to be really tuned into the body and where do I feel this right now? Just witnessing all that, not judging it, but being present with it. 
and and then later on, well, I had this pain. What what was that telling me? Or, you know, I had this reaction. What was that telling me? What was the reaction of the facial expression on the other person? What what was that also telling me? Um, another another book that I want to highly recommend because I've I've helped a number of people, um, you know, in terms of their publication of books, and I always want to support other authors and and write forwards and back cover blurbs and so forth when I can. Um, one author who I've not directly supported, but I want to mention him, is Philip Shepard, S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D, who wrote a wonderful book called New Self. New World, Recovering Our Senses in the 21st Century. And this is the best manual, uh, owner's manual, for being present in our bodies that I've ever read. So I want to recommend Philip's book along with my own, because this will help us, um, you know, be present in our bodies which uh, and, and be in that internal observer place which I think are two of the most important tools we can have as we face this daunting future. I agree, and uh, Philip's book is wonderful. Uh, For listeners, you can go back to the archives. There is an interview with Philip Shepard, and it is a fantastic one, and that is a beautiful book, so definitely kick that one up when you order Love in the Age of the Ecological Apocalypse (laughs) at the same time. When we talk about what's embedded in the body, Carolyn, one thing that I've realized in working with people and even in my own life as I really allowed myself to delve into uh, what was carried inside was there's a tremendous amount of grief, and particularly in women, we hold a large capacity of grief within our bodies, whether it is ancestral or whether it is familial or whether it's societal. But if we look at the things that are going on in our world, and, and the children that end up affected, whether it is our own or others, or the earth in itself as the Mother Earth's child being affected, that grief is something that we do kind of take in, whether we have personally encountered something or not. You talk about grief and moving through grief throughout this book. Um, speak a little bit to that subject. I am very, very happy to talk about grief. Um, I believe that it is the most important emotion that we can be experiencing right now as we as we look squarely at the collapse of industrial civilization, as we look squarely at, um, at all of these challenges that are taking place, and particularly um, the demise of nature. You know, the, people are writing books like The End of Nature, and and we are really looking at something so severe as the end of nature. And the only sane response is grief. So a huge part of my work is grief counseling, um, grief workshops. And, you know, what you begin to discover as you allow yourself to go most deeply into grief is that all the forms of grief are connected. Whenever I give a grief workshop, people say to me, well, is this, about, is this going to be about personal grief or grief of losing a pet or grief of uh, losing a loved one? And, and I say it's about that and so much more. It's about grief of losing the ecosystems. Um, grief of losing personal connections, grief of aging, grief of loss around anything. 
And, and what happens is, as we go deeply into this grief, which our hearts so much want to venture into, we really begin to discover on a much deeper level who we are. Our hearts begin to open. We begin to experience what I talked about in the last segment, deep connection with ourselves, with each other, and with the earth. And paradoxically, what people tell me every time I do a grief weekend workshop is people say, I can't believe how much more joyful I feel. I can't believe over time how much more capacity and access I have to my own joy and happiness. People tell me they feel lighter. They feel more rested. And I truly believe that even under the fear that we have, under the rage that we might have about what human beings are doing to the planet, way under all of that is grief. And it is the best medicine any of us can can experience. And so I am just so all about these days um, grief processing, whether I work with people individually on grief or whether I work with them in groups. And, you know, a lot of activists shy away from grief. They say, oh, well, grief is woozy, and, you know, if I get into my grief, I'll lose my passion. And that is so not true. When we get into grief, I think it strengthens our resolve to go forth and be sacred activists. You know, uh, Andrew, who's founded the Institute for Sacred Activism, talks so much about the waters of grief, how we need these waters of grief to balance out the fire and passion of activism. Because if we don't balance our, our activism with our tears, we will burn out. So I see grief as essential medicine for anyone who is awake and committed to making a difference in our world. Most definitely. And if anyone wants to go back and listen to the archive of Andrew Harvey on The Hope, it is a powerful recount. You can hear the passion that he speaks of this topic. Uh, and, and it is truly, truly essential to experience our own grief. You talk about grief being a feminine response and guardianship being a masculine response. Talk about those two, especially as we move into uh, some of the different aspects of our world, whether it's personal or cultural. I know the very last chapter you talk about love and grief in in regard to the culture of um, our our heart congestive failure. And um, it's, it's just such a necessity, and I've seen that so clearly in my life in terms of how it does really open and expand the heart, the compassion, the empathy, and the passion that you speak of. So speak a little bit towards the response of masculine and feminine. Yeah. Um, first of all, I just want to say that, you know, you, as you sort of mentioned there, congestive heart failure is one of the number one killers of our culture. And if you think of that metaphorically, the heart is congested. And we have, you know, thousands of messages daily, subtle messages that tell us not to grieve. You know, have a stiff upper lip, put on your big boy pants or your big girl pants and get through it, put it behind you, blah, 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 all of that. We know the drill. Um, and, and, and grief work 
is about moving through those messages. Now, yeah, we can say grief is, is feminine work, but every man carries within him a feminine principle. Every woman carries within her a masculine principle. So I have a little section called, um, uh, <clears throat> on page 84 of the book, The Four G's of Enoughness. And it has to do with, um, you know, this whole thing that we've been raised with, we can never have enough. We always want more. And, and that's part of the problem in this belief of separation. It's part of the problem of our not knowing ourselves and being disconnected from the rest of the world. And so the first G is, is practicing gratitude, um, no matter how much you have or don't have, to be able to practice gratitude every single day in, in, in all situations. And then, of course, the grief work, uh, which, you know, we've called feminine, but it's just as much for men as for women. And I don't know if you've ever interviewed Frances Weller, who's the author of The Wild Edge of Sorrow, Rituals of Renewal, and the Sacred Work of Grief. If you haven't, you must. Uh, he's written the best book on grief that I know of. I consider him the grief sage of the United States. Um, and so in addition to uh, grief work, guardianship, that we're going to take uh, a piece of our world. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's uh, the chickens in our backyard, or, or maybe it's a commitment that we have to, um, you know, volunteer at the humane shelter, or, you know, maybe it's a commitment that we have to volunteer with, with a hospice center, um, or to help children, or whatever it is. But we're going to take a particular area of our life and protect it. We're going to do everything we can to make sure that this place is kept sacred and pure, and it's not harmed. And then we give back. We give back through our service. We give back um, through giving our time and our energy and our resources um, to people and things that desperately need our help um, as, a, as a way of giving out because this culture is all about gimme, 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 gimme. I want to take it in. I want to have it. I want to possess it. And it's so important for us to get the energy moving the other way. How can I give? How can I serve? How can I make a difference? How can I express compassion? So um, I think I'm I hope that answers your right question. I'm going to have you pause right there as we take a quick break. Carolyn Baker says in her book, the ending of a marriage or committed relationship is one of the plethora of initiations or rites of passage we mortals repeatedly encounter as we inhabit physical bodies. Divorce, terminal illness, loss of career, bankruptcy, severe injury, all are crises naturally encountered in the course of the human experience. But on a deeper level are invitations from the soul to explore our own depths. Thus, an initiation is more than an ordeal. It is a spiritual journey to the deeper self in each of us. Every initiation requires that we have a willingness to find meaning in it and are open to the lessons therein. A support system of trusted others who may not grasp that we are enduring a right passage, a right of passage, but will be present to support us in our ordeal. A welcoming home or celebration of our ordeal at pivotal moments in the journey and a desire during and beyond the ordeal to become spiritual elders, that if we are willing to find the meaning of the journey, we will invariably acquire the wisdom that could not be gained elsewhere. This is from the book Love in the Age of Ecological Apocalypse. You can find out more about Carolyn Baker at carolynbaker.net.
We'll be right back after these messages. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. 1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly online publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. Engage with experts and topics of consciousness. Become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, expanding the heart, and experiencing greater aliveness. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IamSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. My guest today is Carolyn Baker. You can find out more at CarolynBaker.net. There are lots of books, her life coaching, uh, many of her videos and audios and podcasts, in addition to the ability to subscribe to a newsletter containing key stories on economics, the environment, geopolitics, civil liberties, unrest, and cultural tent trends. You can also connect with her at Omega Institute this summer, July 10th through 15th, with Andrew Harvey. Go to eomega.org or participate in a grief wellness weekend at Chico, California. And you can find out more by contacting her at Carolyn. It's Carolyn at carolynbaker.net. Because to understand and prepare for collapse is to grasp the magnitude of the changes our future holds and to literally stare death in the face. If we are to understand the severity of the collapse of industrial civilization, we implicitly understand we may not survive physically. In sharing our knowledge of collapse with other persons, especially life partners, we are literally asking them to come along with us on a journey that may end our lives and theirs. Furthermore, if we sense, that all humanity knows in its collective psyche that we are well into collapse, then by naming it as such, we agree to stand up in a sea of humans in denial and beg them to also name what they already know and are determined to ignore or minimize. This is the path of so many philosophical and ethical giants in history, such as Socrates, Jesus, agnostics, countless heretics burned at stake in the Middle Ages, Galileo, Sophie Scholl of Nazi Germany's 
White Rose Society, Gandhi, and Martin Luther King Jr. No one should be judged because he cannot go there, nor should anyone be declared a saint because she can. This is from the book, Love in the Age of Ecological Apocalypse. Carolyn, I want to step back into the piece that I read at the end of the last segment, and it had to do with the initiations and the right. And for many of these different challenges and crises that we experience, both personally and collectively, they are initiations and rites of a sort that are are deeply soulful. Talk a little bit about that. Well, thank you so much for asking that question, because that is really at the crux of my work. Um, uh, in other books, I have framed this whole collapse, uh, abrupt climate change experience in terms of an initiation. And so I want to I wanna really step back and talk a little bit about um, initiations or rites of passages in indigenous cultures. There are still some cultures uh, left on the earth that are doing this, but, you know, hundreds, thousands of years ago, all indigenous tribes had these rites of passage ceremonies. And they actually started before birth. They started with the sense of this child is coming into the world for a particular purpose, bringing us specific gifts, and we have to tend the well-being of this child physically, emotionally, and spiritually and up until the rite of passage so that we'll get the most out of them and we'll be able to read with them what these gifts are. And so throughout pregnancy and childhood, you know, the, the elders of the tribe are watching and being very careful to perceive what gifts this child might be bringing. And then at the age of puberty, the boy or girl is taken out into the wilderness and supervised as they go through some kind of very, very difficult ordeal. And the purpose of this ordeal is to compel the young person to reach down deeply inside them and find out who they really are to find out this deeper spiritual self that they are and utilize that energy to get them through this ordeal, which really makes them a man or a woman. Childhood is left behind. And then the elders bring them back to the village. There's this great celebration. And then the young person takes his or her place in the tribe uh, to become a, a wise elder eventually, and a wise elder is someone who is, as Michael Mead puts it, someone who can learn to extract living knowledge from the specific dramas and struggles, the tragedies and comedies they experience in life. Now, Carl Jung studied initiations around the world. And as he went to these different tribes and learned from them, he came back to Europe and said, well, we don't have these formal initiation ceremonies that these indigenous tribes have, but what we have are life experiences. We go through divorces. Um, we lose jobs. We lose children. We experience all kinds of losses, bankruptcies, foreclosures, whatever. And each one of those is a huge challenge. It's an ordeal. And as we go through it, it's like a rite of life passage. And, and in those ordeals, we have the opportunity to learn exactly what the young person does in a rite of passage in an indigenous tribe. We're forced to reach deep down inside ourselves, find out who we are, 
and grab those resources that are waiting to be utilized to get us through the ordeal. And you see, in order to become an elder and a wise person, this is what we have to be willing to do. We have millions of older people, my age and older in this culture, with Alzheimer's, with dementia, who, or perhaps are depressed, who are, you know, looking back at their lives and they haven't gathered wisdom. They've had a lot of experience, but they haven't assimilated that. They haven't put that together to realize the precious person that they are. And I just want to say one thing here that Michael Mead is so fond of expressing about youth and elder. He says, when a culture forgets about his youth, their youth, when they stop paying attention to their youth, the youth stop being able to pay attention. Have we ever heard of ADHD? He also says, when a culture forgets about their elders, the elders begin to forget who they are. Have we ever heard of Alzheimer's? So these are metaphorical um, comments about what the culture does to youth and elders, and a whole bunch of it is because we've forgotten that process from conception to death that has to do with rites of passage and gaining wisdom and extracting wisdom from our experience and being forced to reach deep down inside ourselves and reclaim those inner resources. And that was going to be my question. Are we tending to our young in the way that they need, or is this, in a sense, the unfolding organic process of life kind of reworking itself so that the young have their rights of passages in order to rebuild this world? Well, I think we're all having our rights of passage. Um, Certainly young people are going through this transition, this collapse, uh, with different ramifications than we are. Uh, and, And baby boomers are experiencing it differently. But we are all in an initiation right now. This is the point I want to make. We are in a planetary initiation. It's affecting everybody differently. But our reason for being here and going through this is to find out who we really are. As I read the Einstein quote earlier, is limiting our destructiveness is not a matter of reining in our natural selfish impulses. It is a matter of understanding who we really are. That's why this is happening. And we have forgotten to such an extent who we are that apparently this calamity is necessary in order for us to remember. There's been a lot of writing and research in regard to the millennials and the younger generations that are coming up and the degree of narcissism that they possess. There does seem to be that projectionist quality to our culture right now that narcissism's hold where we project our shadow onto other things and there's not a self-responsibility that takes place. Is this why darkness matters right now? Well, absolutely. And my most recent book, um, which you didn't mention, but people can find out about it at my website, uh, is Dark Gold, 
the human shadow and the global crisis. And in there, I talk about how the shadow that we haven't dealt with personally and culturally um, has brought us to this place. And the book also has all sorts of tools and exercises for helping us uh, reclaim and heal that shadow. Um, But yes, um, in terms of narcissism, could we be more narcissistic than uh, a person who's running for president right now named Donald Trump, um, who seems to just embody um, the whole narcissistic personality disorder? Um, and, and I don't necessarily believe that millennials are the ones who are the most narcissistic. Um, I work with a lot of millennials who contact me because... Um, they've come out of college with all this student debt. Um, they don't have a clue where they're going to get a real job. Um, you know, they don't, they, they don't have health care, even though they're young and may not need it so much. Um, but they look, at the, they look at these realities that we're talking about today, and they say, I have no future. What am I to do? And, and I don't see most millennials as being narcissistic. I see my generation as being much more narcissistic because I believe we baby boomers have helped to create this horrible situation. And, you know, when I was teaching in college, when I would begin a psychology class or a history class, I would start out with, and this really got their attention, I would start out with, um, I want to begin this class today by apologizing to all of you for the world that my generation has left you. And that pretty much stunned them. And some of them would raise their hand and say, oh, no, this is the greatest country in the world, you know. And I would say, but by the end of the course, you'll understand. And, and they did. But I make it a practice now when I'm in the presence of millennials as much as possible to apologize for the world that my generation has left. Thank you, Carolyn. I want to um, really express my gratitude for the work that you're doing on the planet uh, for this powerful book, Love in the Age of Ecological Apocalypse, Cultivating the Relationships We Need to Thrive. Uh, definitely pick up a copy, uh, become realistic about the state of our world right now and the self-responsibility that we each have to, to take a place of voice and of self-introspection to understand where we need to move next and how we need to support our young people, our elderly, and our world in moving forward. You can find out more about Carolyn Baker at carolynbaker.net. Definitely check out the Grief Weekend in Chico, California, and also her work with Andrew Harvey at Omega Institute, which is eomega.org. Again, that's carolyn at carolynbaker.net or www.carolynbaker.net. Until next time... I am Simran, in love, of love, with love, and as love. Be well. Thank you for opening your mind to a new reality, your heart to greater compassion, and your experience of aliveness with 1111 Talk Radio. Join host Simran next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to step through the gateway of conscious living here on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Remember, you are not on the journey. You are the journey.